Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. As Pastor Brian said, if, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin, and I stand between you and lunch. And I am very aware of that this morning. And so what I'd love for us to do this morning is to look into God's Word for just a few minutes to understand what God is saying to us as we prepare for this all-important season, but really the year ahead and the years ahead that God gives us and how to be most prepared for that in our lives. So it's great to be together with you in worship this morning. I want to start with a question that I hope you can answer, a question that if you'd like to answer out loud, I would more than welcome that as well. The question is, what is the best gift you ever received? What is the best gift you ever received? Now, my wife is about to scream out, my husband, but well, let's just, uh, <laughs> but if anyone else has an idea, what is the best gift you ever received? Any, anyone that want to share your response? I'm sorry? Guinea pig. A guinea pig. That's an outstanding gift to get. Thank you so much for sharing that one. Anyone else? What's an amazing gift you received? My son. Your son. Wow, that's a fantastic answer there, Celia. Thank you for that. Good. Anyone else? What's the best gift you ever received? A jewelry box from my family. Ah, a jewelry box from your family. And I'm sure it has a lot of deep sentimental value. There was something so precious and unique about it. Thank you for sharing that one. Now let me ask you this question. What is the worst gift you ever received? And now you're starting to think, yeah, a pair of socks that I once got, right? Or those gifts that someone gave that clearly they probably got from someone else, that re-gifted gift or that gift that meant nothing. It was clearly something that was just handed to me with no thought and no actual effort at all. This morning, we're going to talk about gifts. We're going to talk about the greatest gift that was ever given, the gift that, that still lives with us every single day, but probably the gift that we ignore and the gift that we forget so often as well. But when we do that, I want you to think about what was the difference between the greatest gift you ever received and the worst gift that you ever received? What was the difference? If we think about it, great gifts, good gifts have certain qualities to them that we all think about, we all recognize, we all know. Think about this for a second. A good gift likely satisfies a deep need in your life, right? Whether it's something that you absolutely had to use or something that you desired for a long time, a good gift satisfies a deep need in your life. In fact, do you know what the most common gift that will be given over these next three and a half weeks is? It's gift cards. Why? That's a person in your life saying, I have no idea what you need, but I'm going to give you this money so you can figure out what you need and go buy it. It's the most common gift we give because we believe that good gifts satisfy deep needs or the needs of the person who receives it. We also believe that good gifts are harder to find. They're not the easiest thing to come across. They're not the fastest thing that we come across. They take time and they take effort. I was looking at some statistics this week. It says that during these next three and a half weeks, Americans are going to spend over 45 hours individually shopping for gifts. That's dozens of hours online, dozens of hours walking through malls, looking through stores, parking cars, walking and waiting in line. There will be dozens and dozens of hours devoted to gift buying. Why? 
because we believe that good gifts are hard to find, so we're going to likely keep looking and keep looking to find the right thing. Good gifts tend to come at a higher price. Do you know that right now, one in every three Americans are paying for last year's Christmas presents still? It's pretty amazing to think that we would be willing to go into debt to find the right gift for someone else because we do believe that good gifts tend to come at a higher price. So I would rather pay the high price now because it would satisfy the need of the person that I'm giving that gift to. Good gifts, they tend to satisfy a deep need. They're hard to find. They come at a high price and good gifts are worth waiting for. 12 days, 21 hours. 12 days, 21 hours before our house is going to be an absolute mess because there are a couple of kids back there who are waiting for that moment when they can tear into every present because they believe that good gifts are worth waiting for. And finally, we believe that good gifts draw us closer to the giver of that gift. And that's what we believe because we believe if I give this gift to this person with my heart and with my effort that it will draw this person closer to me And at the same time, we believe when I receive this gift from someone, it can draw me closer to that person. So that's what we look at when it comes to good gifts. We believe that good gifts, they satisfy a deep need in our lives, that they are hard to find, that these good gifts come at a high price, that these good gifts are worth waiting for, and that these good gifts draw us closer to the one who gave them. So I want to ask you this question, a question that my kids will get asked a thousand times over these next few weeks. What did you get for Christmas? What did you get for Christmas? And this morning, as we start to unpack our sermon series in Christmas at Mount Hope this coming season, this is the question that I hope we can keep in our hearts and our minds as we think about the days ahead, the months ahead. What did you get for Christmas? And if you have a Bible with you this morning, or if you want to grab one from the seatbacks in front of you, we'll be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll be reading a couple of verses from that chapter. If you need some help finding it, it's on page 807 in those Bibles that are under your seats or in front of you as well. Matthew chapter 1. I want to read a verse that many of us are probably familiar with. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, which which narrates the Christmas narrative, which tells the story of Jesus' birth. And that first verse that we're going to read is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, about what we got for Christmas. Matthew 1, verse 23 says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You've probably heard this spoken at some time, or you've heard a song with these words in it that Jesus would come from a virgin who would give birth to him, and a son would be born, and this son would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. But if you look in the Bible that you're holding right now, you'll notice those verses are paraphrased into quotation form because this is not the first time this verse has ever been recorded in Scripture. It's actually a quote of a verse that's been used previously. And in fact, today what I'd like for us to learn more about is who that verse was originally given to, who those words were originally given to, and to understand the situation he was in to better understand what we actually got for Christmas. 
In fact, if you want to take your finger and just go right down to Matthew chapter 1, verse 9, a couple of verses before where we are right now, we'll get to see the name of the person that originally received this prophecy, these words that we just read. It says there like this in Matthew 1, verse 9, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. If you're not familiar with Matthew chapter 1, we get this genealogy, this family tree that goes all the way back to the beginning and traces the genealogy, the history, the heritage that leads all the way to Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to skip it, to forget it. It's just a bunch of names. But we understand pretty easily that God doesn't just make mistakes or go coincidence. He goes and gives us his reason for doing different things. And so when Ahaz's name is mentioned here in the genealogy of Jesus, Ahaz is the one who first received this prophecy about a virgin giving birth and his name being called Emmanuel. I won't turn us back there, but if you'd ever like to find it, it's in Isaiah chapter 7, where you will see this taking place. In Isaiah chapter 7, we see King Ahaz, the king of Judah. Judah is that tiny little nation at the bottom that's facing off against three much larger, more powerful nations that are rising up at the time. King Ahaz is the king of Judah, and at the time that he is reigning, there is a nation called Assyria, which is becoming bigger and bigger and larger and more powerful by the day. In fact, Assyria, history teaches us, would have one of the first standing professional armies. It would be one of the most ruthless conquering kingdoms where they would go from kingdom to kingdom and just dominate the people, and then as a way to prevent them from ever revolting, Assyria was one of the first nations to come up with the idea of forced deportation, sending people off into exile so that they could never rise up in rebellion against them. And so Assyria gets bigger and bigger. And it's at that same time, these two other nations that you see, Syria and Israel, they start to get worried. What are we going to do if Assyria comes against us? What do we do? And so they come to King Ahaz in that tiny little nation of Judah that's the people of God that we're talking about right now. He comes to this nation of Judah and they say to him, Ahaz, make an alliance with us. Join forces with us and we will stand up against Assyria together. And Ahaz, something you'll have to learn about him is that he doesn't have a habit of going to God and asking God's counsel. He has a habit of doing things the way he wants to do them. And so Ahaz says, nope, no alliance. I will stand on my own. In fact, I will join in an alliance with Assyria instead. So Ahaz now has an enemy in Assyria. He has an enemy in Israel and Syria, which are joining together to now fight him. And we come to Isaiah chapter 7, and King Ahaz is about to face off against this terrible, terrible situation where he has three nations who want to destroy him, three nations who are more powerful than him. And Ahaz stands there at this aqueduct in, in Isaiah 7, and he's looking out and thinking, I'm about to be destroyed. I have lost all control. I have nothing that I can do now. My nation is about to be destroyed. We're about to be sent off as exiles. They are going to wipe us out. And it's in that moment that the prophet Isaiah comes to Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, and he gives him some advice. He says, Ahaz, they have armies, they have warriors and weapons, but you have God. 
Ahaz, this is your opportunity. Turn to God. Let him fight your battle for you. Trust him. Let him give you a sign of his goodness, of the plan that he's been unfolding. In fact, Isaiah makes it so clear to him. Ahaz, you are in the genealogy. You are in the history, in the line that you have this plan over your life and over your family's life. Do you think God just walks away from his plan? No. God clearly is working something. Just trust him, Ahaz. In fact, Isaiah will say to King Ahaz, ask for a sign. God will give you that sign. Ask for it. But Ahaz looks at the armies against him and he says, wait a second. There is no way God can defeat these armies. I'm not even going to ask for a sign because I've already made up my mind. I'm going to do it my way. If Assyria wants to form an, uh, an alliance with me, I'll join them. In fact, that's what Ahaz ends up doing. He would end up bowing to the Assyrian gods. Ahaz would end up sacrificing his own children for the Assyrian gods. He would end up forming this alliance with Assyria. And yes, that kept him from having to fight Israel and, 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 uh, and Syria right off the bat. But it eventually destroyed him, destroyed his family, destroyed his future. But Isaiah, in that moment that he's speaking to Ahaz, he says, Ahaz, you, when you come up to a situation where you've lost control, you have a decision to make. You can trust God. You can trust the gift, this amazing gift that your ancestors have been given, that through your line will come Messiah. You can trust the plan and the process of God, or you can do things your way. And I want to ask you this morning, how often is it for us that whether it's in the Christmas season or any season of our lives where we come to these moments where we've lost control, these insurmountable odds that we face in our lives, that we face these situations, and how often you and I have said, God, I'm going to go ahead and just take control. I'm going to go ahead and do things my way because I think I am more capable than you are. I trust what I can do over you, and so I will take control. Ahaz decides, I'm going to take control. I'm going to form my own alliances. Forget what God says. And Isaiah responds to Ahaz, and he looks at Ahaz's family in the house of David, and he says like this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. In fact, we read it today. The verse was, the virgin will be with child, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, it makes no sense in Ahaz's time to hear something like this, but this was the sign that God gave to Ahaz in the house of David in that time, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. 700 years earlier, he says to him, Ahaz, this is the sign that you might face these insurmountable odds, but victory will come in the form of a virgin who gives birth to a child that will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when we fast forward 700 years to Matthew chapter 1, that's where this prophecy starts to be fulfilled. That the generations pass one after another and here we come to this couple, Joseph and Mary, who've lost all control of their lives as well. They don't know what's going on. Mary is suddenly pregnant. Joseph, who is pledged to be married to her, is wondering, wait, how am I going to share this to our local community? How am I going to have this be a part of my life? 
It's an uncontrolled, insurmountable situation that Joseph faces. And in that moment, there is a sign given to him. The sign that was given to Ahaz. That the virgin will be with a child. And you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This morning, when we heard that question, what did you get for Christmas? The answer is Emmanuel. God with us. Let's break that down for a second because it's so easy to bypass what that means. God with us. God. I want to ask you for a second, what's the most offensive thing that I could say from up here? And you don't have to shout that out, but what's the most offensive thing that I could say from up here? Right? Tom Brady is overrated or... uh, (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts is better than Starbucks. I don't know. There's, There's these offensive things that we could say. But when a Jewish person in the first century heard this phrase, this was offensive. God with us? You see, all throughout mythology and history, there have been many cultures and religions that believed that God could come down to earth. Right? Mythology teaches us that the gods could dress up in human form and come down to earth. Most of the polytheistic religions in the world today still believe that. That their gods could come down to earth in different forms and take on different forms. But not for a first century Jewish person would this ever be okay to say. That God, the the God of the Old Testament, the unsearchable, unknowable, uncreated, creator of all things, he would not ever form himself into a man and come among us because that's deeply offensive. There's no way God could fit into man form. And this is what Joseph and Mary were told. This is what Ahaz was told, that this is the gift you have received. Emmanuel is God. So this morning, when you face the uncontrollable, insurmountable situations of your life, this is the first place you start, that it's not just some man that's with me, it's not just some great teacher with me, it's not just some great advisor or guru that's with me, it is God that is with me. God with us. Think about that for a second. That the creator, the unsearchable, unknowable creator of all things is with you. That God is with you. In the Old Testament, you would often see God as a pillar of fire or as a smoking flame. Or you would see him in a whirlwind in some cases. He was always terrifying. But here in the New Testament, in the fulfillment of these prophecies to Ahaz and so many others. A reminder to each one of us that it is God that is with you every single day. When you face these uncontrollable, insurmountable situations in life, it is God that is with you. And it's not just God, it is the with part that we must understand as well. The withness of God, that God is with me, is something that we can often ignore and forget about. The withness of God. That because of the greatest gift you ever received... You are not alone. Some of you know this, that these last couple of months have been very difficult months for my family. You know about some of the deaths that have taken place in my family and the troubles that we've gone through. So many of you have prayed and reached out. Thank you so much for doing that as well. It's been difficult. But I'll tell you this. It's in moments like this that I learned more about the withness of God. That God is with us. 
not just in the times that, that everything is going great, but how much he is with us in these moments, to know his presence in these moments, that the greatest gift we ever received is this witness of God, that God is truly with us, that we are not abandoned in any situation that we face, that he is with us. I once heard the story of a farmer who was looking out of his window one cold winter night and these sparrows were flying into the storm door because those sparrows saw warmth inside the house. They would keep flying right into the storm door over and over again in the freezing cold. So the farmer, he decided, let me go help them. Let me go step outside and try to assist them. But the moment the farmer steps outside, the sparrows all run and flee into the forest because they are so afraid of this farmer. The farmer, he turns the lights on in the barn. He puts hay out in the corner. He lights fires so that they could come to the warmth of the fire. But the sparrows will not come because this scary, large farmer is in the area. And over and over again, he tries to put down crackers and find ways to get them to come. But they're so scared of him that they won't come. Eventually, he just gives up, walks back into the house, and watches them start flying back into the storm door again. And in his mind, he thinks like this, if only I could become like one of them and point them in the right direction. If only I could join them and show them the right way to go. When we talk about the witness of God, this is the greatest gift we ever received. That God was willing to become like one of us to point us in the right direction, to be with us in our troubles. And that final word in Emmanuel is God with us. So who's the us that we're talking about? Is it our church, our religion, our country? Who is the us? In the New Testament, we see over and over again that I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. And to everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, we have this promise of Emmanuel, God with us. But who are the us? It's us. Us who chase after good gifts all the time. And in the end, we find that those good gifts are often nothing really there. We look at these gifts and we say, wow, this is beautiful. This is education. This is my career. This is everything that's amazing that I want to chase after in life. And we spend inordinate amounts of time chasing it. But in the end, there's nothing in there. It's completely empty. And the us are people who will then say, let me go find something else and we'll chase after other gifts. We'll go after careers. We'll go after education. We'll go after things. We'll go after money. We'll go after relationships. And over and over again, we find that they come up empty. And Jesus says that the greatest gift you ever received is Emmanuel, God with us, that in the midst of all of that emptiness that you feel, that he was willing to come down and fill the emptiness of your lives. I often think about like this. When we're putting up that Christmas tree every year, you know what this is like. Those ornaments that fall and shatter into a million pieces. And you've got to sweep them up and put them away. But I often think about it like this. That our lives are broken ornaments. Shattered on the ground. All messed up. And here's God coming in. Putting it all back together again. Because he is God with us. This morning as we close, one of the things I would love for us to do 
is to come back to the place where we recognize what the greatest gift is. What did you get for Christmas? You received a gift in a box on Christmas. That box looked like a manger. And that gift satisfied our deepest needs. It satisfied the deepest need of our lives. The need to be close to God again, the need to be connected to God again, it was satisfied in Jesus Christ. We said that good gifts are hard to find, but the greatest gift came and found us, and he gave his life for us. We said that good gifts come at a high price, but the greatest gift did not cost us anything, but it cost him everything. We said the greatest gifts draw us closer to the giver. In a time when you and I were separated from God and had no way of reconnecting back to him, Emmanuel comes. Emmanuel, God with us, draws us closer to God. That you and I can know him because of Jesus. And we said that the greatest gifts are worth waiting for. This morning, as we are in the presence of God and as our worship team comes back up, I want to ask you about the uncontrolled insurmountable situations that you find yourself in? Are you in a place right now where you face these terrible situations, these insurmountable odds in your life? And if you are, I want to ask you something. Where do you go first? Do you go to yourself to make your own decisions, to do things your way? Or do you go to Emmanuel? Do you go to God with us? For some of us, those insurmountable situations are at work or at school. Some of those insurmountable situations are taking place in our families and our homes right now. I want to ask you, do you go to yourself? Do you try to take control or do you go to Emmanuel? The greatest gift that we ever received is God with us. In fact, in Isaiah 57, this is how it's written. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. Imagine that's where that verse ended, but it doesn't. It says like this, but I also live with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. God with us, Emmanuel, was not just a promise to a king 700 years before Jesus. God with us was not just a promise to Joseph before Mary gives birth to Jesus. God with us is the promise that you have right now. Maybe you are facing something in life right now where you're thinking, God, there is no way I can overcome this. God, I don't know how to go. I don't know what you want me to do. God, are you silent right now? God, what is going on? How will I ever overcome this? This morning, we have an opportunity to be like Ahaz and fight God and to do things our way and to pretend that we are better at this than he is. Or we have an opportunity to be like Joseph who received the promise of Emmanuel and then said, okay, I'll trust you because you are God with us.
this morning, whatever it is that you're facing in life. Maybe you've been fighting God for most of your life and trying not to go the way that he's called you to go. Maybe you've rejected his offer of salvation. Maybe you've denied him in your life. Maybe you've decided that I don't really have a place for you, God, because I'm busy doing things my way. This morning, there's a reminder that from the beginning of time, God has been unfolding this plan and he is absolutely in control. Whether it's Ahaz in power or David in power or Herod in power, that God never lost control of the situation. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we recognize, God, that so often we are like Ahaz who decides on our own to go in our own way. But God, this morning, I pray that you would remind us that you are God with us, that you are Emmanuel. You are God, you are with, and you are with us. Lord, I pray right now for every one of my friends who are listening and watching right now, even from home, who are going through a situation where it just doesn't seem like I can overcome it, so I will put more trust in myself. God, I pray right now you would give us a heart to surrender to you and to recognize, God, that only you can do that because you are in control and you are God with us. Thank you for that reminder this morning. God, I pray that for the week ahead that we would be able to know this plan in our lives more and more, no matter what we face, that you are with us. Remind us of that. Thank you, God, for the reminder that what we got for Christmas was Emmanuel. Thank you for your presence again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.